Coming up on the Keto Camp Podcast, we have America's gut doctor, Dr. Vincent Petre. But everybody's focusing on like how horrible this virus is. And I don't hear people talking about like, how about the immune system? How about the terrain? This, the body, the person. You know, Louis Pasteur, they say that in his deathbed said that it was the terrain, that it wasn't the bacteria, that it was the important thing was the terrain, your body. And really, I think that that is the important thing. If your terrain is strong, if your gut is not leaky, your immune system is strong, you might get sick, but you can fight it off. There's a lot of other factors, who knows, probably vitamin D deficiency, maybe malnutrition, maybe not getting enough. But I think we need to really change the focus of the conversation to gut health and how can we restore the immune system. So rather than we're fighting a bug, we're also fortifying the terrain that needs to fight that infection. I'm a certified functional health practitioner who's on a mission to educate 1 billion people. I've been obese for most of my life. From rock bottom to the top of the mountain, I am passionate about studying ancient healing strategies like fasting and the ketogenic diet and curating this information on the Keto Camp podcast. My goal is to bring you the thought leaders in this space. My name is Ben Azadi, and I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. Hey, Keto Campers, I hope this message finds you well wherever you are in the world today. Sending you love, sending you light. We live in this unique world right now during the quarantine of the coronavirus, if that's when you're listening to this podcast. This episode is very relevant to the immune system because I don't know if you knew this, but a majority of your immune system lies within your gut. I asked Dr. Pedre on this episode, what are the consequences of stress and fear when it comes to the gut and the immune system? And you're going to be surprised by his answer. He gives you some practical tips to calm the stress, to activate your parasympathetic nervous system. So important right now. We talk about his experiment with eliminating his caffeine routine and what that did for his gut. We talk about autoimmune and how it's correlated or related to gut distress. We talk about leaky gut. What exactly is this intestinal permeability? What causes it and what's the solution? You're going to love this episode because we talk all about your happy gut, how to cultivate a happy gut. And when you do that, you will cultivate a healthy, happy immune system to protect yourself against all viruses, to protect yourself against all bacteria. The body knows what to do. We just want to give it the building blocks. And that's what this discussion is about. You're going to just love Dr. Pedre's energy, and I can't wait to bring him on the show. Before I do, I want to acknowledge you for choosing the Keto Camp podcast. Out of all the podcasts out there, you're here with me today, and I'm so grateful for that. So thank you, first and foremost. Here at Keto Camp, we're on a mission to educate and to inspire 1 billion people on planet Earth. What we focus on is primarily the ketogenic lifestyle, fasting protocols, and all things ancient healing strategies. If you're brand new to the podcast, welcome. 
and please consider hitting that subscribe button. We release at least three brand new episodes every single week. Take a screenshot of this episode of the Keto Camp podcast and post it on Instagram and shoot me a tag and shoot Dr. Pedre a tag. My Instagram handle is at the Benazadi. That is T-H-E-B-E-N-A-Z-A-D-I. And Dr. Pedre's is at Dr. Pedre, D-R-P-E-D-R-E. If you'd like to check out some of my kits that I put together for you, I have a kit for somebody who's brand new to keto. You can see my keto kickstart kit. I have a kit for those of you who are having trouble with sleep. I have a kit for those who are having cravings and sugar cravings. I have a kit for boosting your immune system and so much more. You can check out these curated kits I put together for you over at ketocampkit.com. Remember that's camp with a K, ketocampkit.com. A reminder, if you wanna watch the video version of this interview with Dr. Vincent Pedre, you could find that on our Keto Camp YouTube channel. Head to youtube.com slash ketocamp and you could watch that video interview after you listen to it today. I wanna share with you real quick the show sponsor, which is Purity Coffee. Purity Coffee is the highest antioxidant coffee beans I have found. They have tested versus 46 leading brands and have won over each of them on quality and taste. I don't know if you knew this, but coffee is the number one sprayed crop in the world, loaded with pesticides, herbicides, and even mold. This can create leaky gut. This can create inflammation. So we want to make sure our coffee lives up to our high quality standards of health. You could get Purity Coffee for 10% off and free shipping because you are a listener of the Keto Camp Podcast. Head over to puritycoffee.com and use the coupon code KK10 to get 10% off and free shipping. Again, that is puritycoffee.com. Use coupon code KK10. K-10. Okay, let's get into this fantastic discussion with Dr. Vincent Pedre. Dr. Vincent Pedre is the medical director of Pedre Integrative Health and founder of Dr. Pedre Wellness, medical advisor to two health tech startups, MBody360 and Fullscript. Dr. Pedre is chief medical officer for United Naturals and a functional medicine certified practitioner in private practice in New York City since 2004. He's also certified in yoga and medical acupuncture. Dr. Pedre is the author of Happy Gut, the cleansing program to help you lose weight, gain energy, and eliminate pain, which you could find the link to purchase this book in the notes of this podcast. Let's bring on Dr. Vincent Pedre. Dr. Pedre, welcome to the Keto Camp Podcast. Awesome to be here and just learned that you are a fellow Miamian like me, originally born and raised in Miami. Yes, we have that in common. It's it's funny because a lot of people who live in Miami were not really born here. It's a very transient city. So when I tell somebody I was born and raised, they're like, wait, really? <laughs> it's very uncommon. So it's great to meet and see another uh, fellow Miamian. Yeah. Um, and then I tell people that I moved to New York. And they're like, what? Are you crazy? Yeah. <laughs> like, you should be moving in the other direction. Yeah, it's usually the opposite way, but that, that's the way you roll. You do things a lot of different than what the masses do. And we'll talk about that. So you have a very fascinating story because you were somebody who grew up who was deathly afraid of needles. And you became, <laughs> an, and you became oh a doctor. Gosh. 
Uh, you picked up that part of my story. <laughs> yeah. And how did someone who's so afraid of needles who go into practice medicine? God, let me tell you, and I think you'll appreciate this as a keto guy, which is kind of like being a biohacker and kind of finding the, the true potential within your body through mindset and food. For me, it was I was raised to believe that the mind is a really powerful thing and not that we need to take a drug for something. You know, so even though there was an incredible amount of anxiety around needles and I would pass out every time all throughout my teenage years and, and it's almost like an oxymoron that I became a doctor and I was super afraid of needles, but it actually was one of the most empowering things for me because what it led me to do is figure out, okay, I'm gonna be a doctor. The elephant in the room is I pass out with needles. So if I can't conquer this in my mind, I can't become a doctor. So the next thing was I started going to the library and the bookstores and researching what the hell is happening to my body? Why does this happen? And I figured out while I was still in college that that was my sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system going haywire. And I was going into fight or flight response and breaking out into cold sweat, heart racing and feeling like the world was gonna collapse and next thing, everything started to turn dark. It was like a dark curtain would start to fall. And next thing I knew I was being woken up and I was on the floor or had you know, uh, dropped over. Um, but it led me to my life work because through my research, I discovered a book by Dr. Herbert Benson, it's called The Relaxation Response, and it totally made sense to me. What was happening to me, which was part of the autonomic nervous system, which we think is not under our control, but there is a way to control it. And through the exercises in the book, which really focused on breath and counting, and so I started following his breathing exercises, uh, which really are diaphragmatic breathing to engage the parasympathetic nervous system and relax the body. And that led me to yoga and then to guided meditation. And I used to listen to, you would probably chuckle at this, this was 95. So I was listening to cassette tapes. <laughs> I mean, not even, you know, like the old Walkmans <laughs> with the headsets and listening to guided meditations, doing the breathing exercises. And the true test for me was going to be, I had to get the Hep B vaccination series to be allowed to go to medical school. And I was building up to that. And I was doing this every day. So imagine I'm 21 years old, learning how to meditate back in the mid 90s when meditation was not common at all. And I was just determined to figure out how do I hack my body? How do I hack the response my body is giving me that is almost felt like it was uncontrollable subconscious? And I was finally through a combination of breathing and my own internal guided imagery. So back then I used to just take myself and my mind to a place that I felt really relaxed. And it was usually an island on the beach, um, lying in a hammock and under a palm tree. And so I would use the combination of breathing and the guided imagery and I went to get my first vaccine and I felt my heart rate starting to raise and I felt a little bit of the cold sweat and then I just started doing my breathing and I didn't pass out. And I had that one time and I had to get three vaccines, but I knew at that point I was like, wow, like 
the, I think it was like seven months of meditation that I had been doing, breathing and meditation exercises to get to that point, which is kind of important, I think, for people to hear because people start doing these exercises and they expect to have a response in a month. But I really dedicated myself and I was like, you know what? I want to become a doctor to help people. And if I have to conquer my fear of needles, then I need to figure this out. And I can't back down. I wasn't willing to back down. If you know anything about me, I'm not the type to shy away from places that stretch my comfort zone, even though there was a lot of fear at the time around this and worry that if I couldn't conquer this, I wasn't going to be able to become a doctor. Lo and behold, <laughs> my first day at Gross Anatomy, one of my classmates, I look to the left, he starts turning pale, drops to the floor. And there I am standing. And I'm like, you know what? I don't know why I had this fear of needles, but I have no problem seeing a dead body. And then once I was in the OR, I discovered that I had no issues with seeing blood. So it was just around needles that I was nervous. And maybe there was a bad experience when I was a child. But honestly, I look back at that and I think, had that not happened, and had I not approached it instead of an, like an obstacle that cannot be conquered, or what if I had a mentality that you have to take an anxiolytic or medication to conquer this, I would have completely disempowered the body's ability to conquer these things. And it honestly is part of what led me to my life work, which is all about mindset and using both the power of nutrition and also the power of your mind to heal your body. Amazing story. I acknowledge you for conquering that fear and uh, using it now to conquer other areas of life. I was cracking up when I heard that story about the, the classmate that passed out during the cadaver. Uh, <laughs> you could have shared your secrets with him be like, I've been there, dude. I could share this with you. I could help you out. You so, know what's funny is I was kind of embarrassed at the time that I was meditating because it was so kind of, you know, it was very fringy. So I continued meditating throughout medical school, especially my first year, extremely stressful because one semester of medical school is like three semesters of college. And they used to know me as the Zen guy. I never got stressed. And my secret was that I had been meditating for nine months by the time I started medical school. So if you're going to medical school and you're listening to this uh, a month ahead of time or years, uh, meditation might be a good practice to pick up. It, what, what kind of meditation was it? Was it guided? How'd you start with it? Back then it was, you know, 21 year old, your mind is like a racing monkey. So I needed to listen to meditations that told me what to do. So it was always some sort of guided meditation. And that was kind of my entry point into it. And eventually over the years, I mean, my meditation techniques have evolved. And what I've realized, because I've used a lot of different techniques, the only one I have never used, because I've never really felt attracted to it is transcendental meditation and, and saying a mantra. For me, I feel more at home just focusing on the breath and sometimes doing box breathing, which is a method that was, uh, I think, evolved by the, the Navy SEALs and Marines to like keep calm under stressful situations. But it's evolved over the years and started with um, what spoke to me at the time. And that's what I tell people is that if you're going to start meditating, like there are so many different styles of meditation, like you just need to find the one that works for you now. 
And that might be your entry point into meditation because maybe your mind just runs too much and you need someone to tell you what to do, maybe a sequential guided body relaxation. And eventually you get to a place where you can just jump into meditation. I mean, I can just close my eyes and start breathing and I can get myself there really fast. And I'll stay meditating for like 30 minutes and it goes by like that. It feels like it was just five minutes. Amazing. What other consequences does stress have on the body, chronic stress? Oh, God. I mean, so many things. What I see in my gut health specialty is that it increases the gut permeability. Because if you're supercharged with catecholamines, then your body is actually, it's going to affect your gut microbiome, and that's going to affect your tight junctions, which are the connections, like Velcro-like connections between the cells in your gut. But we know if you're in fight or flight, you can't digest well. So it can actually cause vagal nerve malfunction. For those who don't know what the vagus nerve is, it's one of the longest nerves in the body. Vagus means vago in Spanish, which is uh, lazy. So, And they call it that because it's almost like a lazy river. It's really long and it innervates pretty much all of the internal organs, the entire digestive tract. And vagal tone controls things like secretion of digestive enzymes. So if you lose vagal tone, you're not going to digest protein well. You're going to eat a piece of whatever it is, chicken, beef, fish, and it's going to sit in your stomach and feel like a brick. And if that happens, it's because you're not producing enough stomach acid to break down the protein. And I think part of the reason that happens for people, especially young people, because as we get older, there can be loss of gastric um, acid secretion just from aging of the cells. But for younger people, I think the number one culprit is stress. And then if you're not breaking down your protein properly, then you're not going to get the amino acids your body needs for all sorts of processes, including the building blocks for neurotransmitters to stay happy and feel satisfied in life. Yeah, it's huge with my audience and the clients that I coach as well, because I see that. I see so many people on the go. They're mindlessly eating. They're not allowing those stomach enzymes to be produced, especially with somebody... When I teach somebody to transition from a standard American diet, high carbohydrate, high sugar, to more of a ketogenic approach short term, the number one reason I see people struggle on keto is they don't have the bile to break down the fat. So I have them eat a whole bunch of bitters. I have them put some lemon and limes in their water. I have them stimulate the digestive enzymes to break it down. And I teach them what you just said, to be relaxed, to get into that parasympathetic state because it makes all the difference. You got to rest to digest. You can't be in this fight or flight, which a lot of people are in our society. And unfortunately, a lot of people, because of work, whatever, are eating their lunch at desk while working, feeling rushed, not even consciously eating, you know, just kind of wolfing down their food, maybe not chewing it properly. And, and a lot of people forget that digestion begins in the mouth. So it's that signal, you know, first it begins in the mind with the, the visual cue and the smells of the food and the thought of the food can actually start to trigger the formation of digestive enzymes. But you're right to say, you know, using things like bitters to kind of stimulate that stomach acid to start secreting or what I have people do on the Happy Gut um, diet is to have a glass of lukewarm or warm uh, water with lemon uh, in the morning just to kind of kickstart the system. And I agree, that's really important. And then just the whole process of chewing, you know, also triggers that reflex to get the stomach to start secreting digestive acid. And that is 
that is so key for any process because if you're not making enough stomach acid, you're also going to have trouble breaking down fats. You need that stomach acid to start to break it apart into pieces. And like you said, you need good bile flow to then be able to emulsify that fat and absorb it along with all the fat-soluble vitamins, which are so vital for health. And a lot of people are deficient in those vitamins. Yeah, I have a lot more questions to ask you shortly about the gut, but I want, I want to know what, out of all the areas of expertise you could have gotten into, you focused on the gut. You have your book that I have here called Happy Gut. It's a fantastic book. What made you focus on this area of health? You know, I had a book that I wanted to write and I wanted to have an impact that I felt I had done something more than just helping people one-to-one in my private practice. And it was after my mom passed away, I was going to turn 39. I was looking at my 40s and looked into that decade and thought of myself, I'm 50 years old now. If I look back at my 40s, what will I be proud of if I accomplish this? And I knew that if all I did was be a doctor and help people one-on-one, yeah, that's great, but I wanted to help the many. And it was about finding what was the true authentic story for me, you know, the one that I could feel really passionate about. And it's really funny because it was sitting under my nose when I came up with the concept for happy gut, because I had grown up with IBS and had developed leaky gut syndrome from being exposed to multiple, multiple rounds of antibiotics as a teenager and become sensitive to gluten and dairy, which were the two top foods that I ate as a child, bread, cereal with milk, ice cream. My mom used to take me to Burger King to get a vanilla milkshake after school every day and thought that that was okay. You know, I was a sugar addict and I was eating all the wrong foods as a teenager and I couldn't gain weight because I had leaky gut and I just wasn't absorbing my nutrients And I was super anxious too. I was very type A, very anxious internally. And that's where it was wonderful that meditation kind of was something I accidentally discovered at 21. But it it was my story that I had then started working with patients and I was just pursuing my passion. So by the time I started writing the initial concept for my book, I had become like a gut expert without even trying Because I was just doing what I thought was fun. You know, I had fixed my own gut. I had gone gluten-free. I had eliminated dairy. I had started working on my microbiome and introducing, you know, really getting into kind of food sourcing and where food comes from. And if I was eating meat, eating clean meat, and also buying organic vegetables. So I'd really gone through this kind of big transformation in my 30s. So it was sitting right under my nose and it was one of those things like you couldn't see it until finally I saw it one day. I'm like, I should write a book about the gut. Like, this is it. This is my story. This is what I've been doing with patients. A big chunk of my practice is gut health. And there is an endless group of patients that just kept coming in. I'm like, why do people not know this? Like, this is so easy. Like just change the diet, use the right supplements, maybe probiotics, prebiotics, and you can fix the gut like that. But I kept seeing more and more people coming in. I'm like, there is an epidemic of gut disease. 
And to me, the gut is the foundation. I mean, I describe it to people as like, it's, it's basically like the roots of a tree. The guts are the roots of our body. And if the roots can absorb the nutrients properly, then the rest of your body can function properly. So for all those reasons, and also mainly because I was trying to find what was going to be my authentic voice, where I was writing a book to help people, but it was really coming from the heart, really coming from something that I felt passionate about. That's where Happy Gut was born. Because I mean, when you're doing something like a I mean, you could write, I guess, a short 70-page book, but this is kind of like a work of art. Like, I really poured my heart and soul into this. And it's like running a mega marathon. You know, this is like a 50, 100-miler. Like, writing a book is, it takes a lot of work. And if it's not coming from heart and soul, then it's going to take a lot out of you, and it's going to be really hard to bring it into the world. So it was a combination of those things and realizing that I wanted to bring something that felt very authentic to me and something that I could really feel passionate about. And because I had conquered my own gut issues and had learned so much from that and also working with hundreds of patients on their own gut issues, that's where the whole thing was born. Yeah. Where can the audience get your book, Happy Gut? Where's the best place? Oh, anywhere. I mean, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, those are probably the easiest. It's on Kindle also, although I recommend the paperback because I do have exercises and diaries that I like people to keep because I think it's very important when changing food behavior to really at first, without changing your behavior, document what you eat and document how it makes you feel. And I think making that connection, you know, which is basically taking eating from the unconscious place and bringing it into consciousness like really starting to understand like, oh, if I eat this way, I'm going to feel this way in the afternoon. And I think that's one of the key, key ways that you change people's behavior is by first making them really conscious of how those behaviors affect them. And I know you're, you're probably very keen about that um, because the keto lifestyle has really become about becoming conscious of how food affects you and how it makes you feel. Because really for me, the focus has always been in some ways selfish. I wanted to be able to operate as optimally as possible. I mean, I, I was working 12 hour days with patients and I was feeling run down by the end of the day. And when I started working on my gut health and fixing my diet and changing the way that I ate, I started seeing that my stamina increased and actually, three years ago, I led a group on my cleanse. And as part of that, I cut out coffee completely. I didn't cut out caffeine because I do believe strongly in green tea because of its uh, anti-cancer and detoxification potential. It is great for phase one, phase two liver detox. So I always include it as part of my cleanse because it's one of the great, best ways for, to help the body shed toxins. But I took caffeine out. and my energy surged. It didn't go down. I actually felt better once I took coffee out of my, of my diet. I was already drinking at least two cups of caffeinated, maybe one decaf per day because I was starting to crash in the afternoon. But I've always been one that walks my talk. And if I'm going to, um, I led a group through my cleanse and I said, I'm going to do it with you guys. 
And I didn't realize what the caffeine was doing to me. And when I weaned myself even slowly off of caffeine after I stopped it, I had migraines for three days. Yeah, it was pretty intense. And when you, you realize that, like I wasn't having migraines and a lot of people are like, well, this wasn't affecting me when I was taking it. But now sometimes you feel the effect of the food in the reverse when you take it out and your body then expresses the ramifications. I, I had some pretty bad migraines for three days after I completely stopped the caffeine and I had weaned down. So I was doing like half decaf, half calf. And once I went off, my body just went like, hey, I'm going to show you what this was doing to you. And since then, three years, I have not gone back to drinking coffee. And my energy is even, like pretty much all day long, unless I have like a really rough, rough day, I can pretty much stay even keel all day. And I can't say that was happening with coffee. And I know a lot of people... So I want to qualify that because there's a lot of keto people who drink coffee. And I know there's a big thing with the, the MCT oil and, and the, the grass-fed butter. And I was actually doing that before I quit coffee was the, uh, the bulletproof coffee. Yeah. And I think it's different for different people. So let me qualify by saying that I'm a slow caffeine metabolizer. So genetically... I don't clear caffeine quickly from my body. So the morning caffeine is still making me jittery in the afternoon. And then that afternoon coffee I was having to make it through the day was affecting the quality of my sleep. But even, I can tell you, I know people who are fast metabolizers and you can just know without doing a genetic test. If you're a fast metabolizer, you can have a coffee at 10 p.m. and go to sleep and sleep the night. But I have a friend who was doing some biohacking and, and just observing, you know, he's a fast metabolizer, but using the aura ring to figure out what is his sleep uh, cycle. And he found that even as a fast metabolizer, having caffeine after 2 p.m. was affecting his deep sleep. Mm -hmm. So it's something for everyone to think because deep sleep is really important. That's when your brain is doing its garbage dumping process. It's getting all the stuff that doesn't need to be in there and moving it out through the lymphatics it's really important to get that deep sleep to feel restored when you wake up the next day. Yeah, so many good good points there. And the thing about coffee is why. I just made a video about this yesterday. It's doing well on LinkedIn. Most coffee is sprayed with pesticides and herbicides and even has mold, which what, the, what does that do to your gut? It'll open up your tight junctions. It'll poke holes in there. And to mention also 25% of the population is extremely mold sensitive. Mm -hmm. meaning that if you're in that 25%, so one out of four, if you're exposed to mold, it's going to mess up everything in your body. It's going to scramble your mitochondria. You're going to be fatigued. You're going to be mentally foggy. And a lot of times people don't know where it's coming from. They don't realize that you could be doing it to yourself. It could be environmental. But that's a really key point there is, and something that I talk about a lot is the quality of the food and knowing where your food is coming from. Right. Yeah, mold messed me up, Vincent. I, I lived in a house, I mean, Miami, Florida, humidity, a lot of mold here. Lived in a house uh, that had all, extreme mold damage. So I was there for four years before I discovered it. Sold it, got out of the exposure, but I'm dealing with ramifications and I've detoxed a lot of it, but my dog is dealing with it. So yeah, mold is a serious issue for a lot of people. And it is on coffee and it's on food. It's in the bulk bin nuts and seeds we're, get, we're getting at Whole Foods. Hey Keto Camper, I wanna interrupt this episode real quick and let you know about a product I've been using to reduce inflammation and to get better sleep. 
when it comes to the CBD space, it is like the wild, wild west. And the company I've discovered is Dr. Phillips Formulations. It is pure, safe, potent, and yes, it's formulated by a doctor. They bring over 20 years of medical experience to their CBD oil. They have a proprietary formulation which combines pure, high quality ingredients with the knowledge of a board certified physician. They have tinctures that are internationally certified for non-GMO. And here's what they also have, keto CBD fruit chews. Yes, they are keto friendly, they taste delicious, and they're a great way to reduce inflammation in the body. The third thing that I use from them is the topical cream. There's very few, if any, CBD products on the market that can compare to this. I use the topical cream when I have some soreness, maybe in my lower back. I put this cream and the next morning the pain is gone. We have worked out a deal for Keto Campers to get 15% off your order by heading over to drphillipscbd.com slash ketocamp. Dr. Phillips CBD is spelled D-R-P-H-I-L-L-I-P-S-C-B-D.com slash ketocamp. Remember, that's camp with a K. Let's get back to this episode. So back to the leaky gut point. What is leaky gut? To explain it to people. And what percentage of the American population do you estimate has a variation of leaky gut? Wow. Okay. So one way that I explain leaky gut is your gut is one cell layer thick, and that's it. It's really thin, the gut lining, the inside of the gut lining. And if you think of it, it has to be permeable, right? You can't have an impermeable surface. It's gotta be permeable so you can get the, new, the right nutrients through. So one way I describe it is it's kind of like a cheesecloth, and it has really tiny holes in between the tight junctions, so the connections that are these proteins that connect one cell to the other, are like Velcro. So imagine each cell that's lined up is connected to the other through these Velcro-like tight junctions. Now, when you get an increase in gut permeability, which can happen from being exposed to antibiotics, from taking an over-the-counter medication like an NSAID, like ibuprofen, uh, from being exposed to stress, alcohol, even just a bad diet, which then causes a dysbiosis imbalance between good and bad bugs in the gut, then those tight junctions, and I will mention wheat, gluten, because gluten by itself can cause the expression of the protein zonulin, which is what controls the degree of connection in those tight junctions, almost like a dimmer switch. So your gut can kind of increase and decrease permeability sort of the way you would brighten and dim the lights. So if your gut starts becoming more permeable, then those connections between the cells start to loosen up. And imagine now you've got an open pathway between the cells that wasn't there before. And things can get through that are not meant to get through, like maybe a partially digested protein particle that otherwise would have been too big to get absorbed through the cell membrane, which is where most of the absorption is going across the, the bilipid cell membrane. You don't want things to be getting through, and sometimes you can get bacterial toxins coming through the the biggest one and most concerning one is endotoxin, which comes from gram-negative bacteria, but there's also a toxin that can come from gram-positive bacteria. And that is a huge instigator of the immune system. So why are we so interested in leaky gut, which now we have proven exists, and they've done studies with even like an endoscopic ultrasound where they can show that the 
uh, permeability of the gut can change within minutes of being exposed to something that would increase permeability. Why is it so important? Because then it leads to inflammation. And inflammation is the root of all disease in the body. And they think that, you know, Lisa, Alessio Fasano, who did the work on gluten and its effect on zonulin and increasing gut permeability, found that it can affect anyone from normal to someone who has celiac disease. And those people who don't know what celiac is, it's an autoimmune intolerance to gluten where your body starts attacking itself and you lose the absorptive surface. So if you imagine the inside of the small intestine is folded inwards onto itself and it has a lot of fingers, finger-like villi, that basically kind of like a shag carpet increase the absorptive areas. So now you've got this giant absorptive area to be able to absorb the nutrients that are coming in through the food. The small intestine itself, which is about anywhere between 16, 20 feet long, is as big as a tennis court. So it's really wide surface area. And the way the body accomplishes that is by folding it inwards and having all these finger-like projections. And within all those projections, if you zoomed in, you would see the cells bound together by these tight junctions. So if you see that start to open it up, on the other side of that single layer is what I call the neutral zone or the lamina propria. And that's where white blood cells hang out, patrolling the area, seeing what's coming in through the gut. And we know that 70% of the immune system is all along the gut lining. So they think that the primary dysregulation that happens for someone who eventually develops autoimmune disease is happening in the gut. And even people who develop autoimmune markers that might not even have gut issues, because this is one thing that I learned, is that you almost have to assume that someone has leaky gut if they're already presenting with other symptoms. And a symptom to me, or a sign, let's call it a sign because it's not a symptom, would be autoimmune markers in the blood mm-hmm. with or without gut symptoms. And there might be symptoms like hives, like a skin manifestation, or there might be joint inflammation, joint pain. Um, so I had this patient who came from India, and she had joint migra- migrating joint pains, and she had developed hives right before she saw me. She had read my book, had already started taking gluten and dairy out of the diet, and her hives had started calming down. And by the end of one month, on a gluten-free, dairy-free diet, the hives were almost completely gone. She had no gut complaints whatsoever. And sometimes people will say, I don't have something. And I'll ask the same question different ways to see if they give me the same answer because sometimes people don't volunteer information right off the bat or they're not completely conscious of what's happening in in their body. So sometimes I try to trick them just to see if they don't give me a consistent answer. But she gave me consistent answer no gut problems whatsoever, bowel movements normal. But she had migrating joint pains and she didn't have a tick-borne illness. I checked for Lyme and I did a gut test, found that she had a parasite and that she also was growing yeast in her gut. Completely unaware of this, but she had been eating a lot of rice and a lot of processed carbs after moving to the U.S., but I think also in in India, she had been eating that. And lo and behold, we treat the parasite, we treat the yeast overgrowth, her migrating joint pains disappear completely. She still had 
autoimmune markers in the blood that people were trying to put her on steroids. They were trying to get her, convince her to go on biologics. All I did was look for the underlying root cause. You know, again, the, the gut is the root system of the body. So to me, it's, it's the foundation. And in this person who had no gut symptoms whatsoever, she was harboring the parasite and yeast. And by correcting those things that were causing inflammation and correcting her diet, working on the leaky gut that had resulted from that, her symptoms completely resolved and never came back. And she was also, by the way, feeling really fatigued that she was attributing to being the mother of a four-year-old. The fatigue disappeared. So it's remarkable. I think more people are walking around with leaky gut than we realize. And there's not a particularly good test to know if you have leaky gut. There's one called the lactulose mannitol test, where you look at a ratio between the amount of lactulose that's absorbed to mannitol and how much it is excreted in the urine. But that can only pick up leaky gut in the small bowel, not necessarily in the large intestine, which happens in certain disease states like Parkinson's. They don't have a leaky small intestine, but they get a leaky large intestine. So I think that we can only say by the number of people who are suffering from all types of illnesses, including obesity, which is rampant, mm -hmm. that leaky gut is probably a huge percent of the population. I mean, how much of the population now in the U.S. is obese? And then, you know, when we were talking about my trip to Africa and around the world, we're seeing obesity everywhere. So I think that this is becoming a worldwide problem. The question is, why? Probably the exposure to pesticides and the overexposure to antibiotics. I mean, antibiotics really weren't that big until the middle of the 1900s and have become super big. We're treating too many things with antibiotics. I mean, look at this whole coronavirus outbreak. There's no antibiotic to treat it. But everybody's focusing on like how horrible this virus is. And I don't hear people talking about like, how about the immune system? How about the terrain? This, the body, the person. You know, Louis Pasteur, they say that in his deathbed said that it was the terrain, that it wasn't the bacteria, that it was the important thing was the terrain, your body. And really, I think that that is the important thing. If your terrain is strong, if your gut is not leaky, your immune system is strong, you might get sick, but you can fight it off. There's a lot of other factors, who knows, probably vitamin D deficiency, maybe malnutrition, maybe not getting enough protein to make immunoglobulins. But I think we need to really change the focus of the conversation to gut health and how can we restore the immune system. So rather than we're fighting a bug, we're also fortifying the terrain that needs to fight that infection. Yeah, well said. I have a question for you because I'm curious about this. I know that the epithelial lining is very thin and it's primarily omega-6, is that correct? So it's a lipid bilayer and it is mainly like the, mo the healthiest fat that can go in there is phosphatidylcholine, uh, which most people are deficient in. Um, you probably know the answer to this. The one food that is very rich in choline Eggs. Yeah. Yeah. And runny egg yolk, not overcooked, hardened egg yolk. You, you want to eat your egg yolk runny so you can get the extract 
all the choline from it. That's the healthiest way to have it. Great tip. Yeah, I always say that. The runnier, the better. Okay, so leaky gut. You mentioned gluten, dairy. Those are two things that are primary causes, or not primary causes, but they could be a problem. What other foods are suspect that you could uh, identify right here for the listeners and viewers to explain? And by the way, just to go back to that on the lipid bilayer, um, part of the problem in Western society has been the ratio of omega-3 to omega-6. Because omega-3s make the lipid bilayer also much more fluid. Mm-hmm. And the more you're exposed to hydrogenated oils, that instead of being a straight chain, they have kinks in the chains. So if you have these long lipid molecules that then have kinks and they're all against each other, but they can't line up easily, then that doesn't allow nice fluid movement through the, the lipid membrane to allow things like neurotransmission and stuff. So I just wanted to go back and, and mention that. So, yeah. Sorry about that. I lost my train of thought. and. Ask me the question again. <laughs> no, that's 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 a good point because a lot of people are eating inflammatory omega six. They're eating the ones. Yeah, that lots are of rancid. vegetable oils and Correct. you know the yeah. long t- long types of fats but that, that are going to affect everything. With that being said, I think people look at omega six and think all omega six is bad. Well, that's not the case because our cell membrane is omega six, and the omega three balance helps with the fluidity of it, like you mentioned. So and like GLA, which is the one anti-inflammatory omega six. Exactly. So it's about having the right omega-6 and the right omega-3s, of course, in that ratio, which will help that have the right fluidity. The question was, you mentioned dairy and gluten being two suspectable foods that you removed. What other foods do you see be a problem for most people? Uh, We have soy and corn up there as some of the top problem foods, especially in the U.S., where 95% of it is genetically modified and sprayed with glyphosate. Or what people don't realize is that there's two different types of genetic modifications. You can either make a crop genetically capable of withstanding the effects of the pesticide better, or two, you actually genetically engineer the crop to make its own pesticide. Mm. And that's what's done with BT corn and BT potatoes. They're using a gene from a bacteria that lives in the soil, Bacillus thuridensis, and it produces a protein that pokes a hole in the digestive lining of insects that eat it. But now think about this. If it can poke a hole in the digestive lining of an insect, could it do that to a human Mm. as well? I know they've done, they haven't done human studies, but they've done study on fish where they found that it increased gut permeability. So, and then glyphosate, which is the pesticide that's used on genetically modified corn and soy, which is, you know, the biggest crops in the US, which I learned when I was at a conference in the UK that I was surprised to learn this, that Korea imports most of its soy from the US. <laughs> and, and I was lecturing on genetically modified crop. And so they, they were like stunned and then came up to talk with me afterwards and be like, so, so what you're saying is we're probably importing genetically modified soy? I'm like, yeah, thanks to the US. Uh, we are the health innovators of the world and we are also the disease exporters of the world. <laughs> So those are two of the the bigger ones. And glyphosate, which is sprayed on these genetically modified crop, if you look it up, it's basically a chelating agent, and it's patented as an antimicrobial. Mm. So it's like an antibiotic. And if the food you eat is still contaminated with it, then that's going to affect your own microbiome. And that's that's a big problem because 
once you're affecting the balance of the microbiome, that's kind of the cascade that then leads to leaky gut because we're depending on the favorable bacteria to help maintain the integrity of the gut lining. So I, I do have a question about artificial sweeteners like sucralose and aspartame. Is, aren't those also a problem for the gut? Yeah, so these are some of these we call um, like sucralose is a sugar alcohol. And it may not be the case for everyone, but a lot of people are sensitive to these even artificial sweeteners. And you'll find like you find a lot of products that now label themselves as sugar free. And you might find like a lot of nutrition bars that are appearing on the market that are sugar free. But then you look at the sugar alcohol content and it's like five to 10 grams of sugar alcohols and they're super sweet. So kind of they're hitting that part of the brain that wants sweetness. But the problem is that there are still parts of the microbiome that will metabolize those sugar alcohols and they create gases as their byproducts. And they're going to make people feel bloated, gassy, and pretty uncomfortable. I've seen people's bellies just kind of pouch out from eating what they think is a health bar, but it's loaded with these sugar alcohols. We know also um, something like aspartame. I mean, they've shown that these artificial sweeteners increase the risk for cardiovascular disease and stroke, and they don't reduce the risk for diabetes. It is complete, complete um, false marketing to say that they do. And it's unfortunate, you know, because they get to call these drinks or whatever diet, but they're really not diet. Have you ever seen someone drinking a diet drink that is thin? I have, but they're fat on the inside. Yeah, they could be skinny fat. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> that's the only way. Yeah, yeah. great point. You're a wealth of information, Dr. Pedre, and I recommend getting his book, Happy Gut. What's your Instagram handle again? It's Dr. Pedre with um, the doctor abbreviated, so Dr. Pedre. And where's the uh, other places for my audience to find your work? They can um, find me on Facebook as Dr. Vincent Pedre and um, come visit my website, happygutlife.com. Great website. And of course, read my book, which is kind of like a mind dump of so much knowledge. I mean, I wrote that book to be something that people could read, follow the program, but then keep on the shelf and use it as a reference when things come up. Because uh, I have a whole chapter on symptoms and what types of tests to do to figure out what the underlying causes are. And I think that really my goal is to empower people because there are not enough doctors out there who do what I do but they can initiate the conversation if they go empowered with knowledge, like just saying, you know, I read about these tests. What about these tests? You know, challenge your doctor and ask them, what else can I do to find the root cause of what's happening in my body so I can reverse it rather than treat it with a medication as a Band-Aid? Amen. We're dancing the same dance because we focus on cause over effect. I love it. I appreciate your work and you you, you live it to lead it. Dr. Pedro, I acknowledge you for showing up in this world. Like I said, before we hit record, you're a man on a mission. I admire your work. I'm grateful to know you and chat with you on the podcast. And I look forward to doing the next one in person. Thank you so much for today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. All right, Keto Campers, thank you so much for listening to this entire episode. I really hope you got a lot from this conversation with Dr. Pedre. You could find links and resources and timestamps and all the things we discussed in the notes of this podcast. We make sure Rachel, who is our professional podcast notes extraordinaire, puts it together for you in an organized fashion. So check out those links. You could get Dr. Pedre's book, 
Follow him on Instagram. Go check out his work. He's doing fantastic work. Take a screenshot of this episode of the Keto Camp Podcast and post it on Instagram. Shoot me a tag at TheBenazadi and shoot Dr. Pedre at Dr. Pedre. When I see it, I'll share it on my stories and we'll get some other keto campers following you back. A reminder, if you want to watch the video version of this interview with Dr. Pedre, you could go to youtube.com slash ketocamp and it is posted there right now. Text this podcast to a friend right now who could use this information. Maybe it's somebody you know with autoimmune. Maybe it's somebody you know who's stressing out right now, somebody with leaky gut. They could really use this valuable information. Please text it to them and leave the show a rating and review on Apple Podcast or Stitcher or wherever you're listening to. You know, your reviews, if you could just take a second here to leave that review, it really makes a big difference for the show, helps it reach more people. And at the end of the day, it helps us impact more lives in a positive fashion. So please leave the show a rating and review. I want to let you know about my favorite keto snack in the entire world, these Paleo Valley beef sticks. They are 100% grass-fed and grass-finished. Many beef sticks and beef jerky companies out there claim that their product is grass-fed, but usually they're finished on grains. Paleo Valley, they live up to my high quality of standards, and I personally love the original flavor. I can't get enough of that. My girlfriend loves the teriyaki flavor. If we're running errands, traveling on the road, this is the perfect sidekick to keep us on course with our keto results. We have an exclusive deal for keto campers to get 15% off your entire first order by heading over to paleovalley.com, entering the coupon code KKA to get 15% off. That is paleovalley.com, coupon code KKA. I want to thank you so much for listening to this entire episode of the Keto Camp Podcast. You'll hear me on the next one. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Benazadi, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or non-direct interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.